All right, you can keep working if you're still writing. Now, here's what's interesting about this exercise. I hope there's several interesting things. One is that you have to picture yourself in 41 years, right? And, and so you've got to think about where am I going to be in 41 years? What would be meaningful? Like you could just shine and go, Merry Christmas to me in the future. Hope it's going well, you know, something like that. But if you actually kind of take this a little bit, you know, serious, even though it's not a serious thing, it, it, you have to picture where you're going to be in 41 years. Now here, here's a little lesson I learned snow skiing. Anybody snow ski? Anybody? I know you bore, you're all bored, but some of us, few of us goobers, okay, we still ski. Um, so it's making a comeback. Uh, so here's what I learned in, in snow skiing, that uh, most of the time when I was skiing, I was looking right in front of me. And you know what a teacher taught me one time? Is you're going to be a good skier. Don't worry about what's right in front of you. Your legs will handle it. Look way out there so you can avoid the big things that are going to be in your way. The little things your knees will handle, your body will react, you'll be fine. you got to look up to see the big things coming, Okay. So what this exercise does, it makes us look up way out. You can't possibly know what your life's going to be like in 41 years, right? You, you can't possibly do that. And yet, it may help you think a little differently about your future and where you're going. Now, here's the reason I had you do that. And if you haven't finished, please finish, or we can finish later. Because um, I want you to think about that. Because on that same analogy on a ski slope, I can't go down over here if I start over here. Because you can't ski uphill. And if I want to end up down there, i got to start out in that direction. If I'm going down this side of the mountain, I can't start on this side of the mountain. I could kind of almost get there by traversing across, but it's really, really hard work, and you can never go back uphill, all right? So one of the things that happens in life, if we will just stop and we will look where we think we're going and where God might be leading us and begin to prepare ourselves in that direction, we will have a much better start. Life goes much better. So the reason I said 41 years is because you, in 41 years, will be just about my age, just about. Depending on your exact age right now, you'll be within three or four years. Matt came up here while I go, and he said to me, hey, guess what? In 41 years, I'm going to be your age. <laughs> Not true. They will. You won't. Um, you're older than most of these guys, aren't you? Aren't you? A little bit? Anyway, so he will be exactly my age um, in 41 years. So scary, isn't it? You may have gray. You'll be happy if you have any of this. It's a weird thing. This you'll have. You can't fight it. It's going to happen. Um, he's going, no way. I'll never be fat. Um, so here's what I want to talk about. I was, uh, I was cleaning out a box. My, my dad died uh, a few months ago, and my mom is trying to clean out her house, and it'll take the rest of her life. But um, she, because she's a hoarder, kind of, and uh, so she has never thrown anything away, and I inherited it, if you ever see my garage. And, um, and so she brought, me a, uh, she brought me a box of just old stuff from, like, years ago. And in that was a couple of letters um, from my graduation announcement. So here's what happened. I grew up in Chicago as we're celebrating tonight. Where's the pizza, by the way? Is it coming? It's coming? Okay. You guys ever had deep dish pizza? Like, honest to goodness, it's from Giordano's in Chicago. They shipped it in. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. You won't be able to eat a lot of it, but it'll make you fat either way. It doesn't matter. So um, so here's what happened. I, I opened this box of stuff, and, these are, and I found a letter from a friend of mine. So before I... Uh, graduated from high school. My junior year of high school, I moved away. I grew up in the Chicago area, and then I moved to this little town in Illinois, out in the middle of nowhere. I wasn't even in town. I was even outside of town, out in the country. And so I had, I mean, I was, I was like Mr. Mr. Popularity in campus. I'm not going to lie to you. It wasn't a good thing, by the way. Uh, at the big school, I went to this little school where um, they wore overalls. So, okay, you guys ever seen Saturday Night Fever? You guys ever heard of that one where the dance move came from? That one with, you ever heard of that? Like, like disco, you ever heard of disco? That's kind of when I was in high school. And I kind of dressed like that. I'm embarrassed to tell you that. 
It's even worse than denim. So um, I moved from this big school in Chicago to a town that was smaller than the school I'd already, that I had been attending, the high school. And, and they wore overalls and work boots, and that was the girls. And chewed tobacco, and that was the girls, by the way. It was a whole different environment. It was a weird deal. And I think God did it on purpose because it probably saved my life and it certainly saved my brother's life. And so I moved away. And so I just, when I graduated, I just sent invitations to my old friends that I hadn't seen since I moved. And I got back a letter. And it, so this letter, I opened it. And my mom had saved it all these years. And 41 years later, I read what this, this girl, a friend of mine, had written to me. And it was just this weird, it was this weird sense of, it was a lot of different emotions. Like there was somewhere, um, I've way exceeded expectations in some ways. And there are other ways where I, I'm disappointed in what I became in the interim, uh, some ways. Um, there, are, uh, there are other things that I couldn't possibly have foreseen, but I, I just, it kind of bugged me for a day. Like what would I have said to myself about myself back then, if I'd seen myself now, back then, you know what I'm saying? What would I have said to myself? What would I think about myself? And with that ski analogy, who you decide to become is who you're gonna become in a lot of ways. Not in every way. I was gonna play in the NBA and then I didn't grow the other foot that I was planning on. Um, but a lot of ways who I decided to become back then as reflected in that letter, said, are you still gonna be a preacher? Well, what's funny about when she wrote that letter, I wasn't even really in a relationship with Christ. I knew what I was supposed to do with my life, but I was running. I was trying to get back, I, and it was in rooms like this, like I talked about earlier, that I really did make a commitment, and I began to depend on God, and it really did change my life. I knew what I wanted to do, I just wasn't living it out very well. And in that letter, she asked me, and as early, even before I fully really got my life on track, I already knew where I was supposed to be skiing, or where I was supposed to be going. And so, in a and I'm not talking about your vocation. I'm talking about who you are. So I was thinking about Christmas and how does this tie into Christmas? So I want to share a passage with you. It's a familiar passage. It's found in Philippians chapter 2. If you have a Bible app, you might want to open that. Let me say that differently. If you have a Bible app, please open it. And if you don't have a Bible app, get one right now. It won't be that hard, will it? Can't you do that in here? Does it work? No? It's just a great thing to have. You'll be amazed what can happen. Um, because what happens is... As we begin to determine who it is we're supposed to be, even early on, and we start moving that direction, uh, God gets us there if we seek him and ask for his help. And even before you fully realize the implications of it, start skiing that direction, all right? So, so I want to I just give you uh, this. Um, let, me, let me start in, uh, in verse, uh, just, let me just start in, in the middle here. And it, and it says, um, at one point it just says, uh, about Jesus' attitude. In verse 7, it says, he made himself nothing. If, so last week I talked about encapsulating the whole essence of Christmas in a, in a phrase. That might be a phrase. It doesn't sound like Christmas, but that's exactly what it's about. He made himself nothing. In other words, here is God, almighty God, created the heavens and the earth, put all the stars in place, keeps the thing rotating. This is God who made himself nothing to come be with us, to be one of us, to love us, to redeem us or forgive us for all we've done wrong. He became, he made himself nothing. And so I was thinking about he made himself. He made a choice. 
He made a choice. It's called condescending. And this is not the kind of condescending you're thinking about that's insulting, like talking down to somebody. This is a, the true condescending in the most gracious um, form when God came down. He chose to do that. He made himself that. And so I was thinking about this phrase, he made himself. Christmas is about the fact that God made himself to be nothing. God decided to ski our direction, if you will, to come to us and make himself nothing. As I was evaluating the last 41 years, that's like forever. My shirt is older than most of you in this room. That's not a lie, by the way. Uh, but you will be amazed, speaking as an old guy, how quick you go from where you are to where I am. It'll be fast. It'll be really fast when you look at it from this perspective. And you'll be shocked at the little decisions, the daily little decisions you make along the way that adjust the trajectory of your life. It's just one or two bad little decisions. I mean, we know that. Drinking and driving. It's just one bad decision. It could cost you your life or somebody else's life. But I'm not even talking about dramatic ones like that. I'm talking about Little ones like, what kind of attitude am I going to have? What am I going to aspire to? Who do I really admire? Those kinds of things help you become who it is you decide to make yourself. Saying, well, you're, you're saying self-help. No, no, you can't actually make yourself. But you can make decisions that put you in place for God to make you somebody. And in that sense, you're in cooperation with God, making yourself to be what you're supposed to be. So let me, let me just kind of look at this whole passage for you and just kind of read through it. And it begins in, in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. It says this, Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and these are things like of, because you have encouragement of, of being a Christian, uh, if any uh, have any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, they make my joy complete by being like-minded. So this is Paul writing to his, his spiritual mentees. His, he, he is, he's kind of their spiritual sponsor. Um, having the same love, being in, in, in spirit and in one mind. Do, now, here is where it begins. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. What other kind of ambition is there? Well, there is, actually. Now, the kind we're most comfortable with and the kind that we, we kind of uh, have an inclination toward is selfish ambition. But Paul wanted to go and preach the gospel in Europe. That wasn't because it was going to be easy. It was because he, he really wanted to share about Christ with people who were both spiritually, and geographically far away. There is such a thing as holy ambition. What an amazing thing. Most of us don't experience it very often. But if you choose, you can. So it goes on, and it says, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I don't think there's another kind of conceit. I think vain is the only kind of conceit, pretty much. You think? No? Okay? Am I talking too fast? All right. Wrong language? We're good? Okay. Okay. Rather in humility... And here's the word of the day, humility, something I'm really good at. Still no laughs, nothing. You know, our president said that one time. He said that humility was one of his best qualities. You know that, right? He did. He actually said that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying. Um, do not <laughs> it says this, brother, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So, in this next passage, verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he's laying out, Paul is going to lay out this how-to-do life, this whole kind of how-to-do life thing, okay? Um, and he begins with, you got to think like Jesus. So how do you learn to think like Jesus? Well, first of all, you read his word so that he can inform you how to think. Your, your thinking can be informed by, by truth. 
uh, you pray so that you can be sensitive to those moments when you can apply truth and, and you ask His Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. But I need, I need to back up for a second and give you um, a working theory that I'm, it's a working theory because I'm working on it. It's not original to me, but I didn't, I didn't really um, read it and discover it in, a, in its classical form. Recently, I have decided that without God, that all of life is just one power struggle after another. That all of us have a power struggle going on. So what in the world does that even mean? Well, let's start with our politics. Well, we got we to gotta win. We got to win. No, we got to win. No, we got to win. Why? Do you have truth? No. Do you have truth? No. You might have a little bit of truth. You might have a little bit of truth, but no. It's really about power. There are very few people fighting for something that's absolutely true and right and pure. Very few. And I know, we don't talk about politics. No, we do. We need to because it takes up too much time in America, and neither side's got the answer, okay? You okay? Still okay? Because if it's rough already, do I have to put out some kind of warning in this group or anything? Like, no? What do they call those? You know what I'm talking about? Trigger warning, yeah. Do you need anything like that? Okay, good. Uh, I'm wearing a denim shirt. That should be enough warning. But here, but, but that's just a superficial thing. That's not an important thing. Let's talk about families. Let's talk about families. How often are families in conflict? Remember, because the end result of Christmas is what? Blank on earth. Peace on earth, right? The end result is peace. Why didn't I have peace? Because we're all struggling after power. It's true. And it's expressed in several ways. I learned this a long time ago. If I talked to you about the three Ps, power, position, and preference. Okay, so here's what happens when people get in conflict. This is just me. This isn't psychology. This isn't even scripture. This is just me being really smart. Um, so conflict happens because somebody doesn't get their way, their preference. They don't get to keep their position. I'm the head of this household. Or they lose their power. And it's really all about losing their power. So what happens in a home when everybody's struggling for power? So part of growing up is struggling for power. It's gaining power. It's called independence, right? You're trying to gain independence. But there are healthy ways to gain independence and unhealthy ways to gain independence, Right? If you're over, uh, overbearing parents, you got you smoked up, I'll show them. Yeah, great. You just messed up your head. So, okay, right? That didn't really work, did it? Because it's about a power struggle, mismanaged, misunderstood, right? Why do, why do um, siblings fight? It's about a power struggle. Why do couples, husbands and wives get in fight? It's a power struggle. So I have this theory that if we could figure out that we don't need power, what did God do at Christmas? He gave up power and position and, frankly, preference. Nobody prefers to sleep in a manger, right? He gave up all the things that we think we need. If I could just be in charge, if I could just get my way, if I could just be powerful, famous, and however you choose that, I could be powerful because I'm famous, because I'm rich, because I'm the boss, because whatever, I'm bigger, I'm meaner, whatever it is, power. Power also comes in other ways where it doesn't look like power, where it's manipulation, Right? What if we really did have the mindset of Christ and decide we're not going to play power games anymore? See, because my, my, I grew up being a jock and played sports a lot. And, and in sports, there's a lot of power games going on, trash talking, hard hitting and football, all kinds of stuff that happens. I'm good at those things. I like to power up because I got a mouth on me. I could talk trash all day long. Now, it's old school trash. You might not understand it, but it's still really good. Um, but what if we, unlike the society in which we live and we're trained, what if we decided we would not be power people? Not in the sense that is the conventional wisdom, 
Because the point of Christmas is God could have come with the, as a king. Christ could have come as a king with the best army ever. They're also pretty good singers. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, you know, that whole thing. He could have come with an army, but he didn't. Because that would be conventional wisdom powering up on the world. and Nobody would willingly be changed. But he came and having set his power aside so that we could see a better way. And it's not power or even position or even preference. It's love. He came because he loved us. He came so that we could see real love in action. That's what this passage is talking about. He, he became nothing. He is something, by the way. <laughs> but he became nothing. You and I are nothing. We try to pretend we're something. He is something and became nothing so that we could understand, he could communicate to us who he is and what he intends for our life. So let's read the rest of this as if it were uh, you're training for a marathon life. And that this is a, a training manual for this. What would you do to have the mind of Christ, to think like Jesus, which is what Paul is trying to say. And so here's, here's what he goes on and he says, he says, uh, the first one is to choose to serve God. You, you would do that. Here's what he says. Who being in very nature God did not consider, talking about Jesus, equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, there's our phrase, by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So instead of power, he chose to serve. That's the first kind of, uh, one of the first kind of uh, counterintuitive things. Okay, so to really be powerful, you serve. Absolutely. If you want to bring real change and you want to bring real change in your own life is you learn to serve, is you begin to serve. It's a powerful thing. I was, um, when I see somebody serving and it looks like they're doing it with a good attitude, not because they have to, um, I always know it's a sign of spiritual maturity because it is so counterintuitive for us to really serve for any length of time with any sacrifice involved. We'll do something good for the cameras, you know what I'm saying? And it may not be actual cameras, might be other people to see, but we'll do something good for a short period of time. It makes us feel good, but we don't stick with it very long. Am I being too harsh? Is this not true of all of us? It's just me, right? Is this kind of our condition or not? Um, but I see people in the church. I have, a, I have a friend who's a really high-powered attorney down in L.A., and he heads up our ushers every week, and he is here almost every week unless he's traveling somewhere and he can't be back. And he just shows up. He doesn't have to. His time is valuable. If I had to pay him per hour what he gets on the job to be an usher, I, we couldn't afford it. And yet he feels it's important for him, not the people he's serving. He hopes he helps them, but he knows it's important for him to serve for his own character development. This guy is older than me, and he's still growing, and he's still serving. We have another guy. The first one's one of our elders. Another guy is one of our elders. He actually is a local mayor in the local town until recently, and he, uh, he serves. He has a special needs son. You guys may know him, and, and uh, he may even be here tonight. I don't know if you're here anywhere, um, but I love to watch him serve his community. He serves his community. He starts baseball leagues, and he goes and meets, and he just serves. It's a powerful thing. I walked into Champions Club. You guys know what Champions Club is? Champions Club is a, is a ministry for, for special needs kids. I walked in there, and there was this guy, probably in his mid-40s, like a business guy probably, pretty sharp like a guy, and, uh, and, you know, in good shape, just looked like he had it together. And I walk in, and there is this kid uh, sitting, laying on the floor, and this guy is on a little, a little stool. And this kid, and this kid was probably pretty close to teenage years, uh, and, and, and pretty big kid. And uh, I don't know if you know what happens to boys when they start getting close to teenage years and body odors and stuff. I'm trying to say boys stink when they get to junior high. That's what I'm trying to say, but you're not picking up on it. So... 
I, and that's important in the story. I'm not just insulting the guys, okay? Uh, although that part was kind of fun. So, all right? So I look over, and this dude is 45-year-old business guy rubbing this kid's feet. And I'm like, so I'm thinking maybe he's a chiropractor. You know, like, or one of those guys, you know, that does the pressure points or something. Maybe that's like his business or something. So I, and I but I'm very moved by this guy. And, and there's just one other person in the room just kind of talking. And, and they're just talking to this kid. And, and, and so I, I circle back later. And when he's done, and I say, um, I introduce myself. I meet him. And I said, uh, I saw you rubbing his feet. You know, what, what's that about? And he goes, well, when I came in about a year ago, I read that when he gets upset, if you'll just rub his feet, it calms him down. So for the last year, I've just come here every Sunday and rubbed his feet. I mean, I was, I'm, I, this sounds weird, but I was kind of choked up. Really? You just come and rub, yeah, it seems to make him feel better. And I just want to, I just, I just want to, are you kidding me? That's amazing. That is amazing. That's called servanthood. If you want to become who God wants you to be, put a little servanthood in your life. Just serve. Yeah, because it, shapes you it forms you it helps you make you with god's help make you who it is you really want to be in the end so one of the things that we can do to have the mind of christ is to begin to serve and then it goes on and it says in verse 8 and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself he humbled himself what does it mean to be humble it's, we all we have wrong ideas about humility really i was joking about it before but we think humble means that we think lowly of ourselves no we don't think badly about ourselves we just don't think of ourselves as much being humble means thinking about other people more than you think about yourself, right? I'm good. I'm okay. I know my gifts. I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. I'm just not going to spend a whole lot of time worrying about it. I need to be serving. <laughs> Humility is not about being weak. It's about not kind of flying your own flag. Remember, you're operating under the flag of another, <laughs> one who is more important, and his agenda is more important than my agenda, and when the two collide, I will always choose his. Humility, just humble. I remember one time we just started a church. If, if you don't know the story, we, we started a church down in a little building down in Seal Beach, right by the beach. We still have it. We still have services there on the weekend. And, uh, and here's the weird thing. Okay, it's like two blocks from the beach, okay? It's right on electric and, and just a half a block off Main in Seal Beach. And you know that Seal Beach is actually below sea level, right? So when high tide would come, our toilets would back up, which means there was a hole in the sewer, sewer somewhere, which means you guys have been surfing in you know what. So... And half of Seal Beach is that way, by the way. Um, and so I remember we just started the church. We had a whole lot less people than we have in the room here. We had just like very few of us, you know, like my wife, my two kids, and, and maybe one or two other people. And we had an Easter, and so we advertised all over town, and we served breakfast, and we had, you know, maybe 30 people. We were all excited, 30 people. And I remember just greeting some of the new people after service and just being so proud. It went so well. I'm kind of proud of myself. And somebody comes running, oh, my gosh, the toilets are overflowing. They're flooding the building. That is humility right there in that moment, like, oh, you've got to be kidding. Well, nice to meet you. Get out of here quick before you have to step in it, right? It was, that's not really what humility is about. Humility is about aligning yourself, committing yourself to something greater than you, not something, someone. It's about saying his agenda is more important than my agenda. I used to have some friends back, back in the Midwest. There's a lot of, uh, anybody Scandinavian here? Anybody like directly related to Scandinavian? You are? Yeah. Do you know which, which country? In Sweden. So I had a friend who was married. Uh, he was Norwegian and she was Swedish. 
and they had this, this vacation home up on this island in Lake Michigan, and they had a flagpole. And whoever got up first got to run their flag up the flagpole. So some days it would be the, Swede, uh, flag, the, the flag of Sweden, and other days it would be the, the flag of Norway. You could always tell who got up first. And pretty soon they were getting up like way before dawn, just so they could get their flag up first. The picture is that as I commit myself to his agenda is that I run his flag up the flagpole. <laughs> That's the most important thing every morning. It's not about me. It's about him. God, what do you want for today? What do you intend to happen today? And I'm, you're saying, oh, that's nice theory. No, I'm saying actually do it. Actually get up in the morning and go, God, what do you want for today? This is a great day. It's a gift from you. What do you want me to do today? I mean, I know i got to go to work and i got to do this and anything, but what is it in this process you want me to do? And then it goes on and it says, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, um, even death on the cross. So obedience. He was already obedient. He was already coming to earth because that's what the Father wanted and I assume he wanted as well. Um, but this obedience thing is a weird thing because it can either be taken as a legalism, like, okay, I, got, I have a friend who's my age. You'd think he'd grow up by now. And every time something bad happens, he's like, God's punishing me because I messed up. That's nowhere in Scripture. A bad thing happened either because circumstances are bad or because you screwed up, and that's a consequence of screwing up. Deal with it, right? God's not punishing you. That's, that's not what's happening. But obedience can be taken in a very positive way as well. Obedience can be, I have this gift from God that is today. What is the best way to use today? However God intends me to use it. And so I want to be obedient today. I want to do my life the way God wants me to, because it's the best way to live. It's the way I'm going to become who God wants me to be. And that's the allegiance I've chosen. And so I want to be obedient. It's not like, not like a little kid. It's like a grown-up making a decision. Today, I want to obey God's way, God's intention for my life. And it even starts with little things. By the way, why do my diets fail? Because they obviously do. Why? Because I cheat. Duh. Right? Why does our spiritual journey and our character not grow and move forward the way it should? Because we cheat. Because we think obedience is only about the really big ones that other people could find out about. But we think that the envy, the bitterness, the stuff inside that nobody will ever see, that's okay. No, no, obedience means everything. It means I say to God everything, inside and out, actions and thoughts, attitudes as well as intentions. God, let's look at this together. Let's get honest. That's what I was talking about earlier in the song. Let's get honest about this. I need you today. I need you to help me not mess up so much. I need you to help me keep my thoughts on track. I need you today because I want to be obedient because that's what it looks like to have the mind of Christ. And it goes on. How long am I supposed to go? Am I way over already? She, oh, now you're not going to Now you're not going to talk? That's great. 820. What time do you guys finish? I got an hour left? I'll, I'll talk fast then. Um, so, uh, and then uh, here is the kind of the payoff, and I find this really interesting. And I'm not saying God does the exact for us what he did for Christ, but I think there's a principle to learn from here. And it, here's what it says. Therefore, God exalted him. Because he humbled himself, because he was obedient. And by the humbling himself, it was not just, it was even to the cross, which was like not just painful and awful and terrible, but it was, it was considered by the Jews a curse. And he humbled himself and he trusted God and the outcomes. If we can do what God calls us to do with his help, we can trust him in the outcomes. Here's what the outcomes. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. It's a funny, funny thing in the original language here. And it doesn't mean exalted. It means, here's how my grandson would say it. Papa, he was in the exalted. He was super exalted. That's what it means. It doesn't mean exalted. It means like super exalted, like higher than anybody's ever been exalted. What does exalted mean? Well, we all know who he is, right? 
we know that he is God. And there is this principle here that if you will humble yourself and obey and ski that, that route that he has for you, that God will make the outcomes work great. He'll make the outcomes work great. Uh, let me just, um, I'm trying to edit myself on the fly here. Um, it says to work out your salvation in this next section. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling is that I'll, I'll somehow disobey God. I don't ever want to hurt God because of what he's done for me. I never want to hurt his heart. Uh, but working out your salvation doesn't mean you work for it. It doesn't mean you're going to earn brownie points with God. It means now that I have a relationship with Christ and I've committed my life to obey to him, what does that look like for me? How do I live that out? It's always funny. Couples always, when I used to be a youth pastor, couples say, well, um, Doyle, can we talk to you? Okay. Um, how far is too far? And they weren't talking about away from home. But you know, right? They are talking about the backseat of a Volkswagen. So, um, and it was always funny. And I'd always just say, well, what do you think God says to you about that? And sometimes they go, well, he doesn't care. Well, you're wrong about that. Let's look at this. But if they were sincere, I wasn't going to say, well, if you do, I'm not going to do that for them because they need to figure out what it means to be a Christian. They need to work it out. I'll give them some input. I'll give them some passages to read. I'll give them some insight. But they need to figure out what it means to live as a person who's committed to Christ. What does that mean? And it was something you will learn the rest of your life. I'm still learning it. Sometimes I take a couple steps back and I blow it. Sometimes I move forward. I get an insight and I'm excited. And, and, and it's just, I'm still working out what it means. I'm already positionally, I've already been appointed a child of God. I've already been forgiven. Now I want to live fully in what that means. You know what I'm saying? I want it. I am a citizen of heaven. I want to live out my full citizenship. And I'm still figuring out what that means. What does that mean for you? One of the things that means for me is that God has a purpose for me, and I want to, I want to do my best to, to live that out. And it goes on, and it says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Man, you want to talk about a miserable experience? You try to live Christianity on your own, through your own willpower. It sucks. I've done it. It's awful. You were never intended to live out your faith without faith. You are never intended to live out your aspirations and your hopes and dreams and visions that God has directed you toward on your own. You were never intended to. You're always supposed to depend on God. You're always supposed to invite him in. You're always supposed to ask for his help. It has to be God at work in us to empower us. And then in verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I recently did a uh, funeral and, uh, it was weird. It was a couple of weeks ago. It was weird. One of our elders, and when I say elders, I mean this one was an elder. He was 93, and his wife was 95, and they died within a week and a half of each other. I think he died of a broken heart. It's kind of cute. Uh, sad, but cute. And so I did a funeral for both of them. Never done one of those before. That was weird. And another friend shared and when they talked about the wife, I knew the husband better, but I knew the wife as well. When they talked about Phyllis, every single person, I mean, in 95 years, a lot of people have been watching you. A lot of people have seen you. They said they had never, ever heard her say a negative word about another person. I can't even say that about today. I talk trash on some of you on the way over. Just check and see if you're listening. And I was thinking, wow, that explains why she was always 
He was always happy. She was always good. She wasn't looking for the bad in anybody. She wasn't looking to compete with anybody. She was just looking to affirm people, and she did. I was thinking, at 95, nobody's ever heard you say a bad word about somebody? Wow. Start developing a positive attitude early. And I don't mean a self-generated positive attitude. A positive attitude because God is in charge of the outcomes. If you obey him, he's in charge of the outcomes. Here's what's interesting. We're almost afraid as Christians to guarantee that the outcomes will be good. Well, I'll guarantee they'll be good. Worst case scenario, you end up in heaven. Pretty good. But we're afraid to expect too much from God because some people get let down and some other people, and we want to always explain. No, don't be afraid to expect a lot from God. He's promised us a lot. You humble yourself. You get obedient. You get in line with his will. You try to live according to his empowerment and his guidance. Expect great things from God. I'm just telling you, he's not a genie in a bottle. He can't rub it and say, okay, I want these five things, but expect him to do great things with your life. I'm tired of people who blow up and then blame it on God. Most people who blow up, they blew up because they chose to blow up. And when I say blow up, I mean, you know, go down the wrong path, mess up your relationships, whatever it is, okay? No, you live in relationship with Christ, and you are obedient to that. I believe your life will go well. I, really, I can't guarantee 100% all the time, but I can guarantee heaven, and that's a pretty good outcome. And I think there are a lot of good outcomes between here and there. So it goes on, and it says this. And here is kind of the payoff. Here is Paul saying to his, his uh, mentees, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. That's Paul's words. Still applicable, I think. Then you will, and here's the, here's the, here's the kicker. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of God. When I read the 41-year-old letter, and I thought about if I were to come face-to-face -face with that friend again, and I know that she would be evaluating my life in light of her expectations or who I used to be. And you know what didn't come to my mind? Was this church or what I do for a living. It's who I've become. And I would hope that she could see that I've become not a perfect guy, that's fairly obvious, but a guy who loves Jesus, and a guy who's serious about his faith, and a guy who's been faithful to his wife and has done his best with his kids and who may not have been the most talented and certainly not the smartest and yet allowed God to do some pretty cool stuff. That's who I want to be. And that's who I set out to be so badly so many years ago. I was so messed up and so trying to figure it out when she wrote that letter. But God was faithful. And in rooms like this, experiencing God's presence like we did tonight, and then making a decision, one after the other after the other. You know, a whole bunch of decisions in a row all headed the same direction leads to a, a life that matters if it's the right direction. So here's what I'm going to close with. I'm going to pray, but I want you to do something. I have in my car, I didn't bring it in, but I have in my car an old keychain. I don't even know what the keys go to anymore. Honestly, I have no idea. What but on it is tied a little piece of string. And on that, that string, it's been on there for 15 years. And the reason it's been on there is because I made a commitment to myself and to God 15 years ago to do something that mattered. It had to do with this church. It had to do with following through. It had to do with some things we've done here. And for 15 years, that little string has reminded me of who I decided, with God's help, to become. So I'd like to do an exercise. I don't know if you're up for it. You already wrote the card. Some of you are exhausted from that. But 
I have another exercise that I'd like you to do before you go home at some point, during the food or whenever, right now, whatever. Um, I've stolen from the main campus. Oh, I didn't steal. Uh, I took um, some, some of those little, they're, they're uh, what do they call it? Ornaments. And they're blank ornaments. And I just took them because I don't think they're going to use all of them. So um, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to create an ornament for yourself. You created a card for yourself for 41 years from now. I'd like you to create an ornament that symbolizes what you're going to do between here and there. What you're going to do to become that person that you know you want to be and God wants you to be 41 years down the road. What are those things you're going to do? You could write words on it. You could put symbols on it. You could do something. And I'd like you to put it somewhere that you see it. And it reminds you of who you are. You're a child of God. And he's taking you somewhere. And he and you together. Sorry, did I wake up, Donald? All right, good. Um, so, I love Donald. Donald's here a lot. We love him. Um, one of the things I want you to do is I want you to just put a symbol somewhere that reminds you of who it is God is helping you become. By the way, ADD is a terrible thing, isn't it? You just saw that. Okay. Um, so and I just want you to do that. Just take one home with you and stick it somewhere. And people go, what is this for? You don't have to tell them. It's none of their business. It's between you and God. You decided who you're going to be. You don't know all the details, but you know the kind of person you're going to be. You're going to be the kind of person who's committed to God his plan for your life, who wants to humble himself, who wants to be obedient. And just do something that symbolizes that. And because where you start today, 41 years later, you might find out you actually got there and beyond. And my prayer is that God will take you where he wants to take you and that you will go willingly and enthusiastically. And when you look back, you'll be amazed at what God has done. That's my prayer because he made himself nothing so that you and I could be something. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for today. I, uh, I, you know, Lord, I feel always inadequate to share what I think I'm learning and what I think you're saying. But as always, Lord, I depend on your Holy Spirit to help somebody get something out of this that might help them change, adjust the trajectory of their lives. Lord, thank you for meeting us here in this place. Thank you that I could sense your spirit here. And I pray that your spirit would be just as real as we think about where we're going in life, where we're headed and where you are guiding us and taking us. And we can't possibly know all of the steps. but We can know the one in front of us. And we can look toward the one way in front of us. And we can trust you with what's in between. Help us establish those systems, those disciplines, those attitudes that will carry us forward in following you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for letting me share, guys.